What is up, everybody? You're listening to SFF Addicts in a very special crossover episode with the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics podcast live here at the start of TBRCon 2024. Welcome, everybody, to a new year of this crazy virtual shit fest that we call TBRCon. I'm your host, Adrian M. Gibson, and welcome to your weekly dive into the world of science fiction, fantasy, and writing craft. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, the Chewie to my Han Solo, the Joker to my Commander Shepard, my dear MJ Kuhn. How are you, MJ? Hello, hello. I am lovely and excited for TBR Con to start. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing really well. And before we get started, just want to pimp MJ's books, Among Thieves. This oh, yeah. Baby. And Thick as Thieves. This big brother, that little green baby right there. If you want some heists <laughs> and hatchets and people fucking each other up and not fucking, because it's not a romance, thick ass thieves for all you out there. As well, uh, you saw the trailer at the opening, Mushroom Blues, my debut novel, is out on March 19th. So go check that out on Fanfy Addict, on my Instagram, Twitter, all those places to see the cover and whatnot. But I'll be passing it over to Daniel Coolbaugh to introduce himself in his excellent podcast. Take it away, my friend. <laughs> Hey guys, I'm Dan. Um, I started the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics podcast almost like three years ago, which is pretty cool. Um, MJ was actually one of my first like eight guests. Um, we did like a really cool two-part episode that yeah. is very, very long because she just had a lot of great things to say, uh, but it's great to be reunited with her. <laughs> it was awesome. There's some good stuff. I've had people come back to me and be like, man, that was a great like two-part episode. I'm like, I know, right? It wasn't me at all. It was just MJ. Uh, so everybody should go and take a look at that. It's uh, season one, episode seven and eight, I believe. Uh, so that was really fun. But excited to be here today and, you know, to get to meet you in person, virtually, Adrian. And yeah. Andy, same thing. So it's awesome. And uh, I, you know, just like listen to those episodes and think MJ is so cool and two-parters are so cool. So just bring her on as a co-host and change the format for my podcast. Well, two-parters. Yeah, there you go. That's <laughs> the origin story. <laughs> Fucking stealing it. Oh, man. Um, okay. Lastly, joining us for a deep dive, Masterclass. Masterclass on getting started in self-publishing is the man himself, a Canadian treasure, Andy Pelliquin. How are you today, Andy? I'm I'm good, but you know, I think the real question here is why is MJ the Joker to your Commander Shepard and not say the Miranda or the That was her choice. Okay, she chose that. Yeah. Joker is my Is low-key <laughs> the linchpin in the Mass Effect series. I, totally don't get me wrong. I totally agree with that, but she's got the Miranda look. So that's really what's, what's throwing me off. Oh yeah. Yeah. That 100%. is a compliment I will be putting that's on fair. my tombstone. Thank she you has, very much. she has the, 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 the sort of like foundational presence of Joker, but the hot looks of Miranda. So it's kind of like, the best oh, of I don't have now the accent just, to be Miranda. I need the accent. We just need to see how you do in one of those spacesuits, whether you can really go like there full you go. on ass kicking like she does. Right? Or whether I'm a little more, no, I like, feel like I'm more behind the scenes. I feel like or whether you're a like a Liara to Sony or something. Stuck in a chair. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. oh, man. Uh, Andy, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit now that we had some Mass Effect talk right off the bat? <laughs> Yeah, uh, so I'm Andy Pelliquin. I write books. I sit down and I write a lot. As you can see by Dark Blade Assassin, I write big books. It is uh, wow. Thick. That is a that is a bigger book um, than I expected. <laughs> so I think I've got about forty books and in six series published, with more on the way. That's kind of my only bona fides. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just like humble as always, my friend. I appreciate it. And he's like, I wrote a couple books. No big deal. Yeah, just I like have, a few. I have books. I write words. I, have, yeah. I write words. I write words and things. Um, I guess I'll say that I've been I've been deep diving and 
overthinking this whole author career successfully since 2018. So that's kind of the best the best reason for having me on this to try and say intelligent things. Let's have some fun. Hell yeah, man. We got this. All right. Before we get started, though, we've got a surprise. I teased at it yesterday on social media, but we're going to use this opportunity to do a live cover reveal for Daniel's upcoming novella, Ooh. Hunted. I'm going to throw it up on screen there. Boom. Oh, yeah. There you are, baby. All right, Daniel, can you tell everyone a bit about your book? Yeah, first of all, I have to give a huge shout out to Corey Ratliff. Um, if anybody needs a cover, he does an amazing job and he is way too good to anybody. <laughs> um, like some of the people I was looking for couldn't even give me that for three times the price. Uh, and he worked with me really quickly. And I'm a picky guy when it comes to graphics and design. <laughs> I used to teach it, but I'm not that good at creating my own covers yet and stuff. So he was like really helpful for it. So I just want to throw that out there. So feel free to, you know, take a look at any of my social media posts and things. Uh, he'll be tagged in there the next couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, he did an amazing job. He actually, just to tease as well, he actually got uh, Novella 2 and 3 already situated too with the covers. And they look- Yeah, you sent those to me. They're so good. Yeah, they look really cool. Uh, but uh, yeah, so they're my prequel novellas um, for my Nathaniel Weather Monster Hunter series that's coming out really soon. Um, it was like a story that just- wouldn't quite fit into like one book. Um, so I ended up deciding to do like three uh, prequel novellas instead. Um, and they're set uh, several years before the main series really starts. Uh, so I'll actually be doing like a couple different um, sets or trilogies um, of these prequel novellas. But in the first one, we find him still a recon Marine uh, in Baghdad in Iraq. Um, and he and his unit end up um, having a really long shift. They had to cover several patrols at once. They come back and one of their local friends, um, he comes over, he's like, hey, my son's missing. And his son actually saved Nathaniel and his crew uh, a couple years before this from an IED. Um, so they bonded ever since with him and his family. Um, Nathaniel's one of those guys who's really honorable. So he's like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm going to go find him. So he goes to the top brass there and they're like, yeah, no, screw you, dude. You're going to stay here and, you know, you're not going to go look for anybody. Uh, they got a lot of activity going on. Um, I took a lot of that from you know, like about five, six years ago, um, which really made a lot of sense. And the recon Marines were actually switching from their original roles to taking on some other ones. Um, so I basically just used that as the background. Nathaniel goes back to his unit. He's like, hey, any of you guys can stay here, but I'm going to go help, you know, him find uh, Abita, which is the boy's name. And he just feels like he owes him. Uh, so, of course, he draws a line in the sand and he's like, you guys can stay here. No big deal. Um, nobody wants us to go sort of thing. And all of his men, um, which speaks a lot to Nathaniel and his leadership and what type of person he is they all cross the line and say all right we're going with you and they go out and try to hunt down where abita is but instead they meet some supernatural forces and they find themselves becoming the hunted so this is uh his first experience Ooh. with the supernatural world so love it man does that have a release yeah. date yet uh i'm playing around right now with either the end of june or july 4th so far nice. we want to make sure we get a couple i just got a editor the other day um, when i was shopping around so we're just trying to figure out you know, the best way to get all this crazy stuff done ahead of time, formatting, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, but yeah, be either end of June or early July. So nice, man. I'll can try I, it one more time. Can I just say that, that that pitch reminded me a lot of that episode of Love, Death, and Robots where it's set in Afghanistan with oh, the werewolves. Like, and I say that, that I say that as the highest compliment because that whole episode, <laughs> like the the action of it was just so amazing. And you really get the the soldier, the military vibe from that episode. So if if this one's anything like that, even remotely, I'm in. 
I, I told Corey, I was like, hey, man, I was like, this is this is what I'm thinking. And uh, a friend of mine I work with, he's a huge uh, graphic designer. Um, he, he teaches with me, actually. He's an amazing uh, professional at everything he does. He's like, yeah. So he actually sketched out the original. And then I sent the um, ideas to Corey. And then we had an American flag at the top, which looked really cool, but it looked too military thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to kind of hit both of those zones. Um, and yeah, I was like, Hey, do you think you could do this instead? And I just gave him a different claw mark, but he found that did that. And I mean, just did an amazing job. So I don't know, maybe that was his inspiration, but I got to give Corey all the credit there. So very cool. nice, man. All right. Well, we're going to kick off this masterclass. Uh, first off, Andy, how did you get started in self-publishing? Why did you decide to go this route rather than traditional publishing? So when I first started writing, well, we're going to say it's 10 years ago, because it turns out it's almost 10 years ago. That's crazy. <laughs> um, I, I, I had written the book, the book that was official, that was the first edition of what is now Assassin. The first, uh, it was the Hero of Darkness series. Actually, it was the last of you, Solari, way back when. This is a long time ago, three covers ago. <laughs> and I had the story written and I was like, all right, I'm going to start shopping it around to to agents and editors and stuff. And I was kind of learning the whole process through, you know, kind of as best I can, which the, the internet was kind of just starting to put out that kind of information. But I was writing the next book and I finished the next book while still doing this process. And then I started writing the next book after that. And then I went through this um, training course where I wrote the first of the Queen of Thieves series. So I had these four books sitting on my computer and I was like, okay, I wrote all of these books in a very short amount of time in the time it took me to, to hear from agents. Oh, this book's not what we're looking for all of that. And I was like, now I did this. This was about a year of my life. I was like, okay, now if I could do these four books, give or take in a year, let's start adding, let's do that math. Give me five years, 20 books, maybe one or two gets published by an agent. I have all these books. I was very proud of the story that I told. I thought that a lot of people would like reading it. So I was like, you know what? Let's try self-publishing it and let's see what happens. And by the responses that I got to the story, people were like, yes, this is a great story. Where I got where I failed was in the packaging, which is what we'll definitely get into in the, mm-hmm. in the course of this thing. But the packaging let me down. So when I was sort of considering, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to make a career out of this? I was like, okay. The bones of the product, which is the story itself, is very solid. People are loving this. Now let's work on the packaging. And so basically from the beginning, because of my writing speed, I came into being a novelist from being a copywriter, where I was used to sitting down and writing 15,000 words in a morning kind of thing. So I was like, if I can if I can do this for five years, how many books can I have out? Turns out 40 some is the number just for anybody who's wondering. Um, but that's that's basically why I started off with self-publishing. And then the more I got into it, the more I learned, the more I realized, OK, I can have total control over every aspect of this from the release schedule. I could literally rapid release. I released books once a month, which was I totally doable for a year or something. Um, I could decide how long I wanted it to be. If I want to write a 400,000 word book, which I do not recommend it. Just, just put that out. <laughs> 400,000 word book is just a few too many, but I can, I can do things like that and get away with it. So there is a massive amount of guesswork that goes into mm-hmm. it, but the more that I do it, the more I'm like, I made the right choice with this. Will I go traditionally published when I have a book that I'm like, this one's going to be picked up. I probably will just for the sake of it, but I'll always be a champion of self-publishing because at least for people like me, 
who can work hard and write fast and don't like waiting around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause there's Crazy. a lot of waiting around <laughs> in traffic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's so much waiting around. As um, MJ laughs nervously. <laughs> <laughs> She's like checking her calendar as, right now. Yeah. I was going to say as the, as the so far, I've only done that route uh, as of yet. And it, it is, it's a lot of, of waiting um but i'm curious i want because i know uh daniel and, and adrian both of you have uh are, are pursuing the, the self-pub route as well with your your upcoming projects what uh, what are some other reasons do you guys have any other differing takes on why you chose um this path too um let's, let's start with daniel yeah i was gonna say daniel go first <clears throat> so um I don't know, Andy, I'm thinking of you where you're like, oh, it's been 10 years and I, I always talk to you know my students and stuff about this or somebody on podcast. I'm like, yeah, you know, like eight years ago, I wanted to start writing this. I was like, oh, no, 10, 12. Now I'm like, I was 14. I just turned 36. So I've been writing my own fantasy world for that long. And I have worked tirelessly, relentlessly changing things, updating things. When I reached a new, you know, uh, writing or author level, I went back and, you know, just did so many changes. And that particular series um will come out probably like not this year but next year uh, at least the first couple and i just didn't want to give anybody control over that uh, i felt really strongly about it uh there's a huge gap i think uh in terms of just any publishing um with either side of there's no more forgotten realms there's not a lot of dragon they have a few more that are coming out you know recently um you know there's so many great series like that that i loved and uh, i wanted to kind of fill that hole um that those ending series um and those authors kind of left and uh it really for me came down to like i would love to do a hybrid eventually i think brandon sanderson uh really has it right you know with doing both uh, but you know like you said andy it takes a while right to get into the traditional route and i can I, i'm not as fast as you andy i don't know if the flash is but maybe i don't think anybody's uh, as I, fast as me <laughs> in the morning like okay yeah. i just want to say andy's got his instagram or sorry tiktok or whatever real on instagram and he's like oh here are my books and it's like almost as tall as andy i've um, never so seen them like, stacked yeah. up before like that it, it was it was shocking to me i took a picture of it from behind <laughs> and i was like fuck who's got that much who's got that much to say <laughs> I, I hey man, awesome, hey man, I life life is life is chill up in Kamloops, you know. Yeah, it's real quiet and snowy. It's you know we've got about a foot and a half of snow outside. You're not going out. All you nope. can do is write. Writing. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. No, totally. Mm-hmm. I feel like the other thing is like my son. Like I want to give him you know control over things eventually, and you know with going the indie route, I, anything I build, including my podcast. Um, you know, cause it's all me, um, you know, you have to cover all the expenses, but you know, you get all the reward basically. Um, and there's just certain things that, you know, I have a couple things that are coming out on Kindle Bella and I was like, found out you have to wait like a year and a half almost to get your rights to revert back to then do anything else. So I'm like, eh, I'm gonna, I created a whole, I just put everything on a different planet essentially, uh, which allowed me to do some cool things, but, uh, I'm going to do that. But my own fantasy series, it's, it's just me. I'm not letting anybody have anything of it um, at all. I'll create other things. Um, I have some cool things in the works. Uh, you know, I'm going to send to Athon uh, and a couple of other people. Um, but yeah, Titan, things like that. But yeah, for me, it's all about control. Like you were saying, Andy, and I like the ability. I'm taking uh, Romans, uh, like the Lost Legion, and putting them with zombies and essentially creating a um, ancient in the same world as Nathaniel Weather, an ancient uh, monster hunting crew uh, made up of like Roman soldiers and some peeps they find along the way. Uh, trying to get back home to Rome. Um, yeah, but I've had people be like, you know, from some of the indie uh, publishing crowd be like, oh man, that's really cool. But, you know, I 
think that'd be a hard sell personally in the market, especially the next couple of years with as things go going traditional. So I like to install a lot of like what I call historical urban fantasy. Um, mm -hmm. I like to use a lot of history because that's what I do. And sometimes that's just not, you know, maybe the flavor um, that traditional wants right now. But that I think is really what's making indie grow is there's so many different types of flavors, um, even within different genres. So I just like being able to be like, yep, I'm going to do this and combine these different subgenres and just have some fun. I know somebody will read it. There's what over 3 billion people in the world. You just got to find them. So I just 3 like billion, bro. There's seven, there's more than like 7 billion. You got to. Oh, yeah, sorry. I he wasn't man. it wrong. He said there were more than 3 billion. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still like, there's more than 12 thing. people in the world. guys. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are more than the four that's that are in this virtual room. It's right now. not wrong. <laughs> Which is ironic that I teach history. Cause I was just talking about the point in time with my, <laughs> one of my classes that there were 3 billion. So I, I'm clearly definitely ready for class tomorrow. So <laughs> back to school, baby. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's kind of like a multifaceted uh, sort of uh, approach where it's like this podcasts like SFF addict single-handedly convinced me not to go into traditional publishing <laughs> because of all the authors that I talk to. Um, this is not to, shit on traditional publishing as a whole it's not to shit on individual people within traditional publishing because i have met a lot of them i've interacted with them and authors have told me about their good experiences with individual authors but the corporate experience is what tends to take away a lot of the soul from the process it's what tends to um just dump a lot of mental stress onto authors plates it's like not only the time factor that we talked about because it's like andy you're saying like how many books can i write in a year and publish them myself versus how many years would i have to wait to a find an agent b um have that agent shop your book to an editor and a publisher and the likelihood of your book getting picked up by an editor or publisher and then entering into the process of working with the publisher to edit do the cover, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The process is very long. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm not like old, I'm only 32, but at the same time, I'm like, I have two kids. I have my podcast, my friends and, and everything that's going on in my life. I don't necessarily need more unnecessary stress in my life that is outside of my control. I'm the kind of person where it's like, I can deal with stress when it is in my control. When I can be the person who says, I fucked up here or I'm not achieving X thing up to my certain level of satisfaction, but to have to wait for an email from a publisher, to have to wait for an email from this person and this person and this person just to get a confirmation about like, this is your cover art or to get a confirmation about like, this is your marketing schedule or your marketing budget and all this different kind of stuff. I fucking hate that. And I <laughs> am not the kind of person who, not to say that I'm like an absolute control freak, I just want to be able to have more um, flexibility in terms of when things happen, how they happen, and to be able to pick and choose the right people to collaborate with to make something be as good as I know it can possibly be. It's like, we'll talk about cover artists and designers and editors and stuff later, but to have the ability to maneuver those things in a way that that works for me from a more entrepreneurial sort of standpoint and mentality. It's like, I have 
barely worked for other people my entire adult life. Like I was a freelance music journalist. I was a freelance tattoo artist and then opened my own tattoo studio. And now it's like podcasting and writing. I'm basically carrying forward a lot of the ideas and a lot of the um, sort of approaches that I had with those different things and applying it to publishing a book. And the things that I've been able to do just in terms of my skill set, I was able to do the design and and all that kind of stuff for the cover of my book, for the interior. And the trailer we watched. Yeah, the, the trailer that was at the beginning, like I that. animated that. You yeah. know? And it's like the music <laughs> in that was two friends of mine from Sweden who are music producers. So I was able to like collaborate with them. It's just, there's so much that authors have in their hands that they can do and they can achieve. But traditional publishing, for a lot of authors, they want this takes away a lot of that agency. And so for me, it was about retaining that agency. That's the perfect way to describe it. The, the agency you get to have control, you know, for, for good or for bad, right? You have control over the process, which means you have the chance to put all the pieces together yeah. in the right place to make it super successful. Or you can learn from your mistakes. I am the I will I will say I am probably the king the the king of learning from your mistakes when it comes to <laughs> to my career which I, I'll happily get into later because of everything that I've learned over the course of, of the years but one other thing that I I was I've noticed lately when it comes to traditional publishing versus indie traditional publishing I will say they are champions of blazing a trail you will find that their number one directive in many cases is give me something fresh and new, something that's never been done before, something unique, a story that's never been read, or a new take, like a very new and unique take on an old trope, right? Indie fantasy, specifically. Andy, where, Andy I yeah. would even argue against that. Okay. From my perspective, indie is where the where the experimentation happens and then traditional picks up on the things that they think will be marketable to a, a bigger audience. I think I, it's a little bit of both, to be honest. There, there's there's um, a feedback loop for know. sure. Yeah. But I think indie has a lot of trailblazing that, that um, traditional publishing picks up on and basically pushes into a mass market. That's 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 actually probably fair. I think the difference is that indie watches trad and trad doesn't necessarily watch indie. Like there, like there are going to be some people who make them sit up and take notice. Shout out to Ryan Cahill right there, right? Yeah. Um, Philip Quantrell, Travis, Travis Baldry. These are people. Uh, Alexander Darwin. Everybody who's won the <laughs> SPFBO. These are people who have made trad sit up and take notice and major props to them. But. From what I hear, again, I have not interacted with as many trad published people as you have, Adrian, through the course of your podcast. But from what I hear, it's very much like, listen, this story's great, but we want something different, something new. So maybe tell a different story. Yeah, this is well, something that say, that... I, I've seen that um, with myself. Like I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this without getting myself into <laughs> trouble. Um, I have a project that I have that's very traditional sword and sorcery. Uh, and some of the feedback I'm getting on it from publishers is that it is too traditional fantasy, for, right? So I do think that there's a little bit of both. Because I also think, Adrian, to your point, a lot of um, indie is, I think there's just more room to play on all sides, mm -hmm. right? Where it's like, maybe if we view it as like a spectrum of like, super brand new, never been done before to like, this has been done a thousand times before. Right. Chad is looking for a narrower range somewhere mm -hmm. along yeah. that spectrum. And for indie, there's readers that are along that entire spectrum 
and you have the ability and the freedom to kind of uh, just write whatever it is that you are called to write, that you want mm -hmm. to write, and trust that you'll be able to, with the right effort, with the right, uh, you know, logistics that we're going to talk about, I think, in a minute here, uh, be able to find those um, those readers. I, when it comes out there. when it comes down to it, what I have noticed reading as much as I have, especially I won't I I don't know a lot of behind the scenes, but reading the kind of fantasy that I've been reading, trad versus indie, is that trad will say, "Give us something super super new and interesting, and we'll publish it," or give us something very comfortable and familiar, and we'll stick with that. With indie, you fill in all the gaps. You get mm -hmm. the wild absolutely never been done before a la adrian Punk, Gibson, baby. right right and this is <laughs> this is where this is where like you're saying indie is blazing trails things that have never been done before and may never be done by traditional publishing we can do it because no one can tell us no the only thing that can tell us no is hey this book didn't sell well okay maybe no or maybe let's yeah. try something else this is where indie is absolutely blazing the trail but where indie excels i also think is filling in the gaps where trad lets us down. If you say, listen, I've got a book that's like the Icewind Dale series, one of the best loved characters of all time, Dritz to Warden, series so much like him. Trad's like, I'm out. Sorry, too similar. Now, if you tell, <laughs> listen up, readers, I, indie author, have written a series that is inspired by this character. People are like, sign me up. Where do I get yep. these books? Why are you not writing more? And this is where indie... <laughs> Indie plays at its at its strongest. We take what people love about stories and we give them something fresh and new while still being comfortable and familiar. And this is mm -hmm. where we excel. And this is, I think, the difference, the biggest difference between going indie versus trad. If you've got a story that maybe is a little bit too similar to other stuff for traditionally published maybe you're going to find a massive audience of readers who want that and they're just mm -hmm. not getting it anymore. And as an indie author, you have a chance for amazing success by giving people exactly what they want. Yeah. Uh, Crystals, you are stubborn, but I love you. But that's why we're <laughs> friends. <laughs> Hi, Crystal. Hi. Daniel, do you have any thoughts on this before we before we move into some some logistics and essentials? <laughs> Yeah, I totally do. I want to just reference uh, when I had on um, Scott Drakeford, uh, Rise of the Mages. Uh, you know, he got held up because of, you know, the pandemic. Uh, but it was even like before that, he was like a year and a half out. So by the time, you know, if you're really looking at from when he was, you know, accepted uh, by Tor to the time he published, it was like well over two years. It was almost like two and a half, I believe, if I'm remembering right. It was like a long time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's already, um, that was almost a year ago that I, um, like, you know, interviewed him at least. So he's been working on, I think he already has book two done, but I haven't seen or heard anything. So, you know, and take Andy, for instance, Andy could write like 30 books in that time. So um, <laughs> I think that's where you're talking about though, Andy, in terms of those gaps, we see the gaps a lot quicker because things happen so much quicker in indie. Um, so I just think that, you know, for instance, I met Brandon Sanderson, Brandon Sanderson and Patrick Rothfuss, uh, at Kevin Hearn's thing, Brian McCallum was there. Um, Michael J. Sullivan was there. <laughs> uh, Pierce Brown was there. I mean, there were so many people that yeah. were at the Poison <laughs> Pen. It's like literally 10 years ago, almost on the dot in, I think it's uh, May. Uh, it was right before I moved from Arizona, came here. And to see the shift from traditional, um, and I really got to say, Brandon, you know, 
going with like Skyward in that series and doing his own thing, I think really opened a lot of doors up for people on both sides. Cause people are like, Oh, if Brandon can do it, you know, and be successful, then we could do the same thing. And Kevin mm-hmm. J Anderson talks a lot about this um, on any podcast that he's been on, you know, in terms of like Scott, you know, was on my podcast because even though he's like traditionally published, um, I'm sure MJ can speak to this too, you know, like you still have to do your own work. So mm-hmm. we've, cause now these bigger checks, right. Uh, you know, and these, you know, this, everything that traditional publishers have gotten, Kevin talks about it all the time. You know, his checks aren't like star Wars back in the day, you mm-hmm. know, and he has to pump out so much more content, um, you know, and so many more books and stories and anthologies, and then direct other people too to account for that push in publishing. And especially after the pandemic, so I think, you know, like Andy was saying, like there are these holes and we're just able to fill the holes up in India a whole lot quicker. And things happen for us at like super speed, whereas, you know, it's like a highway versus a traditional road, I think, in terms of yeah. uh, traditional publishing. So yeah. as Ed, Ed said in the comments, agility, agility, agility yeah. is where that's Indians a good word for succeed. it. Yeah, because I, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think it's just a matter, a matter of speed. I think agility also uh, connotates that there is a flexibility for the author to pivot when necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. When something doesn't work, try, try, try the fuck again. And Andy, Absolutely. you said like with covers, it's like this cover isn't working. I've seen so many times where indie authors start with a cover. Our friend Alexander Darwin is an example. Combat Code started with one cover and moved on to a new cover. And I think he may have even had like three in total before he had like the Felix Ortiz that, that spanned the trilogy. But that ability to pivot is so key because you are the one who is in charge of interpreting the ways in which readers are responding, the ways in which they're responding to the story, the ways that are responding to the the cover and the marketing and all that different kind of stuff. And you can tweak it however minutely you need to in order to achieve better outcomes for you as an author, like whatever satisfies you and your idea of success. But speaking of putting in the work, um, I think we should get into a little bit of the, the logistics because there are a lot of logistics when it comes Ooh. to self-pub. But first off, I, I mentioned the word entrepreneur earlier. Um, Andy, what do you think about this idea of a self-published author being an, a, basically like a one-person company or like an entrepreneur? Oh, absolutely. The The fact that you have to do it all. Like I have tested a lot of different marketing agencies and publishers and, you know, basically anybody who could kind of take the work off my hands for me. Some of them have done great jobs. Some of them have done iffy jobs. At the end of the day, no one will ever understand what it is I'm trying to do better than me. So the more I can learn, the better I am. The one thing Mm -hmm. that I will never try to take on is the artwork. I am just not built for art. These hands are not the delicate artist's hands. (laughs) They are I can pump out 15,000 in a fucking exactly. morning, but I can Gorilla hands to hammer at a keyboard all day long, but not, not art. So, so the one thing that I'll do, but at the same time, it's like, if I find an artist who works, I'm going to keep, I'm going to lock that artist down as best I can. I'm going to keep finding and testing. And this is something that a lot of, that a lot of people don't understand is that it, the work is never done. And you kind of have to keep working with different things. I've had artists say, Hey, listen, Um, I'm too busy. Felix Ortiz. I got five covers from him at a time because I saw how busy he was becoming. So I'm like, if I Mm -hmm. want Felix Ortiz art, I need all five covers done at the same time. I mean, after doing, after doing mushroom blues with Felix, we just had a, we had a very like, you know, honest conversation. He's like, yeah, my schedule, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Very busy man. But he was like, 
can you send me a list and rough release windows of like all the books you want to do with me? So I was like, here you go. Up, up yeah. until 2030. Let's rock this baby. Like exactly. let's fucking go. <laughs> so, so, but so it's like all of a sudden, if you no longer have Felix Ortiz doing your covers, what are you going to do? You don't, you don't just find a replacement for a Felix Ortiz overnight. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta search. And I tell, I say this as someone who had to do that search. Ultimately, I found an artist who is absolutely nailing the Darkblade covers. I've found artists who have nailed the other covers in my series. We'll be happy with them until the day I die or until they say, listen, we are now too busy. And that's and this is just like you have to keep doing these things. Mm -hmm. No one will ever be able to advertise my books as effectively as I can. No one will ever be able to get on some ridiculous you know, Instagram or TikTok video and rave about my books as, as good as I can. No one will ever be able to, to promote my business. So at the end of the day, the thing that's going to make me successful is learning and being able to do as many things effectively as possible. And even if I don't know how to do them effectively, a la cover design, knowing enough to help the people do it effectively, being able to give them, say, a detailed brief or mm -hmm. knowing what I'm looking for in formatting, which, you know, these are the things. So the more you can learn, the greater chance of success you have. Yeah, because it's like uh, the best businesses are run by people who know how to delegate. Yep. And the best self-published authors are the people who are able to delegate certain aspects. Obviously, like the writing first and foremost, that's the author. But like you say, cover art, um, we'll talk about editing too, but it's like delegation is so, so key. Um, Ed G, just drop in this Microsoft Paint cover special edition. Let's go, Andy. <laughs> when when I do when I do a Kickstarter like special edition of the Dark Blade or if, if if Broken Binding comes to me, we will have a very limited run and Peloquin Microsoft Paint version. Oh, with the sprayed <laughs> with the sprayed with the sprayed like, page just, edges. Just think about yeah. like all the gorgeous interior artwork and the sprayed gold edges, and then some ridiculous stick figure dude on the front. That's <laughs> some beautiful pixelated shit. Amazing. Five <laughs> This is characters. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have the outfit. A, a fan made a whole assassin outfit cool. for me. Shout out to Ooh. Kelly the Red. Um, because she made it. She like got my measurements and brought it to me, and I got to wear it at a convention. Nice. Cool. I will I will be wearing it again. That is some uh, meta cosplay right there. Bud. That is yeah. so dope. Goals. Goals I didn't even know I had. Right? It is so cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, we gotta get MJ. Someone out there, please make I was just gonna MJ. say that. Right. Yeah, make me a Raya costume. That, that, that cowl amazing. itself be cool. is just so. And the hatchet. She already has the hatchet. Just get the costume. I do. I already have the hatchet. Yeah. I don't even need yeah. hatchet. <laughs> um, and if anyone wants to check out more about cover art and design and that kind of stuff, there's going to be a panel later today, um, about finding a cover artist and designer, which I think is going to be really helpful, um, to go a bit more in depth into that. But uh, Andy, do you want to talk a little bit about editors and 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 how you approach? that process Ooh, that is actually one area where i'm unsuited to speak because when i when i first was i had written child as a night guild i was looking to shop it around to agents and i attended a convention i had you know a couple of uh bites from different agents you know some some 50 page reads full reads i went to a convention and there was a publishing company there and I just walked up to them. There was sort of an industry meet and greet one night. And I was like, so why should I publish my story with you? Tell me what makes your publishing company. It was small indie press. 
And I basically spent the entire night talking with their senior editor. And it mm. was like, it was like immediately professionally falling in love in the best possible way. <laughs> and after I like, like I signed the trilogy with them to work with him. And after I finished publishing with them and I got the rights back and I was working on other stuff, I was like, listen, I know you work for these guys, but will you do my edits? And he was like, mm -hmm. I love your book so much that I will edit your books until the day I die. So 50, cool. 50 books later, this editor has done every <laughs> single one of the books. So wow. I have never had I have never had the 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 challenge of going and looking for okay. an editor. Yeah. So I, I will say that that um working with with certain uh like indie presses i've worked with athons for for two of my series and working with their editors a lot of times the editors are freelance so mm -hmm. i know that if i was to ask hey uh, i need an editor for this project they would probably say oh this guy he's not super busy or he's done really really good now i definitely don't recommend poaching another publisher's editor that is a mistake that i will not recommend but but I do know that the 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 twenty books to fifty k Facebook group for all the the drama that there is, they have a massive list of editors mm -hmm. that are there. I know that in the indie fantasy addicts on um, on Facebook as well, the there's an author focused side, and there's a lot of people there who post about editors. Like editors will post their services, and then authors will say, "Just want to recommend my editor." So basically, find an author whose book you like that you think is very well edited, especially yep. an indie yep. author, and message them and see if they'll share their editor with you. That's or or I most think. of the time, it's like they will include their editor either in the acknowledgements or in the on the copyright page. Sometimes they'll include their editor on there. So just like look at these books that you love yeah. and find the editors that are editing those books and see how you can reach out to them, see what other books they may have edited yeah. and and just get an idea of like what their what their rates are, a lot yes. of indie, a lot of indie editors are surprisingly reasonable, but the biggest costs of publishing an indie book come from the editing and the cover art and design. So you need yeah. to keep that in mind when you're sort of like approaching how you want to budget a book. I'm in a very, very lucky case where it's like, I was able to do a lot of the, that stuff myself, but it's like, not everyone can do graphic design. Yeah. So they're not gonna do like their exterior or interior uh, design where whereas you might have to find someone out there who does on top of finding a cover artist most cover yeah. artists do not do cover design those are separate things yeah. go check out that panel tonight yeah um but i think those are the biggest upfront costs that most indie authors are, are facing so it's kind of like yeah. determine your budget and just do a shit ton of research and figure out like what works within that budget yeah Basically, what I what I tell people whenever I get asked or whenever I do panels or things, I say budget ten thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars that you will not see back for a while, because ten thousand dollars will cover your editing. It'll cover a gorgeous cover, and I I will happily go all day long about the importance of of, of a beautiful cover. Of a gorgeous cover. Yep. yep. And then it'll also cover the cost of advertising, and advertising is especially in the modern indie market probably the only way to you can't guarantee success no one can but to give yourself the best chance of success so ten thousand dollars that you are willing to lose think of your think of your, an your investment as an investment but it's also very much a gamble in the sense of hey this could go really well or it couldn't be okay to lose ten thousand dollars on a book planning to succeed spending all of this money to succeed but that's kind of the number that i recommend because with that you've got enough mm-hmm um, this is a great question. 
Bert. Our editors like cover artists. You want to use the same one over and over again, 100%. I think, like Andy said, with the editor that he found through that indie press and continuing that relationship, even though it became separate of the indie press itself. Um, and then cover artists like, you know, I want to have an ongoing relationship with Felix Ortiz because I want all of the books in my fungal verse shared universe to have that consistent look to it. So I think it's important to have an editor that you work with. And if you work well together to maintain that relationship, if you find a cover artist that you really like and you want to maintain that relationship, but also maintain the consistency and the look of your series, those are big things. But all of it comes down to your personal connection with that person. If you're not vibing with that person and the working relationship is shit, I wouldn't say it's worth keeping up yeah. <laughs> over a and long if, period of time. And if they're missing stuff, if they're making mistakes, yep. things like that, right? But if you find an editor who does good work consistently, who understands who you are as an author, what you're trying to say, they are worth their weight in gold. So pay them what they ask for. That, Like I tell my editor, yeah. just send me your invoice, whatever it is, I will pay it because fast, consistent, efficient work is, is worth more than, you know, a few hundred dollars here or there. Exactly. Yeah. And trust is everything. Yes, as exactly. Well. Like yeah. with with a good editor, you can actually accept all of their changes without having to go through the file um, line by line. Like my editor will, he's amazing. He'll send me a list of all of the major changes. Like if I misspelled a name, he'll be like, you know, name changed back to this. If he, if he capitalized mm -hmm. something, he'll say that. But at the end of the day, a lot of those minutia changes, I just accept them sight unseen. And there are no issues because we've been doing this together for so long. Yeah. Other changes like bigger things, he'll make sure to spell them out. So again, it's all about how your editor works. But mm -hmm. once you find you can trust them, it makes your life so much easier. Yeah. All right. Well, I think this is a bit of a two-parter. Um, we've got an amazing community here in the in the chat uh, with lots of people from Indie and 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 even some from Trad. Um, I think community is a very big thing, from beta readers and reviewers to meeting other authors, and then at the same time, you kind of have to flip that around and view your reading community in terms of how do you market a book and who is your potential target audience for a book? So do you wanna kind of tackle that from those flip side dynamics of community as the people you connect with uh, and the people that are kind of um, more directly interacting with your book and the people who are becoming your friends and then the people that you don't know personally but are trying to figure out, are you the right audience for what I'm writing? Yeah, so with 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 the the networking side of things, I will say that there is always someone smarter than you at something. So basically, <laughs> be the okay. dumbest person in any relationship in certain aspects, the least successful, and always like punch above your weight class. Like I am mm -hmm. I am at my happiest when I am at, you know, author conferences or panels or, you know, Slack groups or whatever with people who are more successful than me because then I can just steal all of their secrets and figure out how to do them better. And I tell them this straight up. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to like, so a friend of mine, um, ZS Diamante, he's killing yep. it over on TikTok. He's awesome. And I'm like, Great, Zach. Now you and I are going to talk because I tell I just, me everything. I just launched my TikTok <laughs> channel last week, and I'm like, now tell me all of your secrets, and then I will figure out how to do them my way. And I can't say better, but you know, my way. 
And so this is this is the the amazing thing about the indie author community is that everybody else has had someone else kind of hold their hand through something. I've held people's hands through the creative process, through the book cover process, through the editing, through all of these things. And I had people hold my hand through literally every aspect too. So finding those people who are smarter than you and more successful than you at something, be a vampire, drain all their strength, all their knowledge, <laughs> and then pass it on. Be someone pay, pay or, forward. or yeah. return the favor. Like I will probably, I will never be the most successful person at marketing, but I will tell you how to advertise. I may never be the most successful person at advertising, but I'll tell you how to get a great cover. Like you just find something that you can return. And, and what Jonathan said here, people are so generous with sharing success advice too. That's yep. the key. Find find the successful people and learn what they think made them successful. Mm-hmm. And then and then see how you can apply that in your own life. So when it comes to building a network, I will always say punch above your weight class. Find people who do something better than you and and learn and every one of I oh, I can speak for myself, but every indie author that I've met, they're like Sure, we're just we're just kind of bullshitting our way through this too. So yeah, yeah. I will tell you what I think might have worked. I'm not an expert. Anybody anybody who poses as an expert, I see a little bit suspicious, mm-hmm. especially when they can't replicate it time and time again. So so anybody who's like, look, here's here's what worked for me. Do with this what you will. That is yeah. someone who, who I feel is like, okay, they're realistic. They're not going to be like, I'm an expert. Let me tell you all the secrets. No. Yeah. There's no thing. Like I can't even I can't even like count the number of authors who have shared advice with me um yep. or done like Skype or Zoom calls with me. You know, like Ryan Ryan Cahill and, and Rob J. Hayes, like amazing guys and yeah. thank you so much. Like like just call me and like we'll talk for like an hour or two and I will just just unload like a fucking masterclass on you. Right. Everyone out there will get this masterclass, but it's like, if you can find the people out there who are willing to share what they've learned with you, like do not take that for granted. Say yes, listen, and just like ask every question that you, that you feel like you need to ask because the time will come where you're able to give back to that person. And like you said, Andy, you will be able to pay it forward to another author who is coming up. I'll give you yeah, an well, example. Oh, go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, no mine's a little longer. We've figured out about, uh, you know, talking with authors in general, or at least I have uh, through the SFF Addicts show, is it's like we're just all big, nice, friendly nerds that just like to talk mm-hmm. about writing and shit, right? Like, <laughs> people are, yeah. are so willing to talk about their advice. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's some someone who's starting out. It doesn't matter if it's someone who's like a New York Times bestseller. Yeah, well, remember Michael J. Sullivan, like, and they, they stayed on for like forty five minutes after to answer some questions that I had. Yeah, about yeah, they're, yeah. So, they're so. And awesome. I was like, they're "Oh amazing. my god, they're like the sweetest humans." And Ro- like, Robin, yeah, Robin's just cool. like Kickstarter MJ, do a fucking Kickstarter. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's really what it comes down to. Um, there was this thing where Neil Gaiman, he, I think, I believe it was Neil Gaiman, he was talking about how he went to some event with like astronauts and all of that, and he felt so out of place. And mm-hmm. this is Neil Gaiman, right? Yeah. So if if you if you put that into perspective, every one of us beneath whatever you know kind of accolades you see, Ryan Cahill's name is all over fantasy 
book talk, Twitter, Facebook, literally everywhere. And you talk to him and he is just such a nice guy. Right. And he's like, I, I just write, I write stories. I live my life. This is who we are beneath. So never, never hesitate to approach an author. Yep. Mm -hmm. If, if, if you've loved something about their story, if there's something that you would like to learn from them, if there's something that you want help with, especially in the um, indie author community, reach out to them. 99% yeah. of the time, the answer is going to be, listen, I'm not an expert on this, but here's right. kind of my advice and feedback. And that's, that's just, kind of, that's kind of the, that's kind of the fun of like the masterclass mm -hmm. terminology. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a bit of a double entendre when it comes to SFF addicts, because people come into it, they're like a bit intimidated by the fact that masterclass is put onto this, but I'm like, no, it's just <laughs> us having a conversation. Like, don't worry <laughs> about it. It's more, yeah. it's more like, it's more like a masterclass, not from this, not from the perspective of the person giving it, but from the people receiving it. And I think yeah. people who, who, who talk about these things and talk about craft and talk about um, all of the things that have gone into their career and their success, it's hard for them to potentially comprehend the value that that has for other people who are in a much more like nubile state of their career. So it's like new authors will devour that stuff. You know, I started SFF Addicts because I was like, I know nothing and I want to learn as much as I can for free. So I'm yeah. going to like reach out to Ditto. every author that I can. And like, Daniel, yeah, you can probably talk to this too. Like most of the podcasts that are hosted by writers, it's like majority of us started this because we wanted to just learn and absorb as much information as possible with cool people and at the same time be able to provide that information for people out there who don't necessarily have the contacts or the means of you know having an author come appear on their computer and basically just tell you like here's what you want to know <laughs> so yeah, start a podcast <laughs> it is awesome though because like I, I i always call the like our podcast i call it like my like author diary essentially because mm -hmm. like yeah. and there have been so many people like people always ask me like well you probably have like all these traditional or you know these indie people that are really famous i was like now nah, interview whoever because there's not been one author that i have not learned from whether it was like their first day their first book their first anthology story like whatever could have been you know like fletcher and i were just on again the other day um hoping to have him and you know anna on soon uh for in the shadow of their dying holy crap was that amazing book um, you know, and him and like Clayton, uh, award and all, I mean, he's one too. He's like, I approached him, Jed, Rob and Dirk when they, you know, had their podcast out first thing. And that's the only way I got started. And I was mm -hmm. like, Hey, I need help. What, what should I do? Jed responded to me immediately. You know, Rob was really cool. Dirk, I mean, all four of them. And like the amount I learned from those guys and like, you know, like I emailed or messaged them constantly, you know, on any social media um you know mike's always like yeah have, let me know anytime you want to talk you know privately mm -hmm. or on air whatever uh you know him and i just love books you know and yeah uh, you know like love helping other people too you know to help build up you know because we know what it feels like so but i mean i just always learn something from everybody and i have a whole stack of notebooks here from just you know if i'm talking to somebody i'll just write stuff down and i mean i'm always taking something away you know like andy said i i've talked to kevin hearn privately and then years ago he was awesome but I talk to him every once in a while, ask him a question about urban fantasy or really like research. Like, how do you research some of these historical things and how do you find veins in particular that, you know, you're going to put in your book or to help you world build or something like mm -hmm. that? He was amazing. Um, there's been so many people. I've had a couple people approach me. Um, you know, first time Andy started talking to me on Instagram, I'm like, 
is he the, like talking to the right person? Like, you know, I was like, thought he was like mess G or something, Adriana, you know, just happened to click or something. So I, I went and told my friend, I was like, that's pretty freaking cool. Um, you know, we had some great conversations about different books and, you know, sharing recommendations and stuff. And it's kind of cool. Cause like, uh, one, one of my friends actually suggested, you know, uh, dark blade assassin. And I was like, Hey, one of the things you're trying to do with one of your characters, you know, is really similar to how Andy's written it. So Ooh. I was like, Oh, cool. So I went and started reading that series because of a suggestion. And I was like, oh, this is really, you know, interesting because it's it's kind of quite similar ideas. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I, I learned something from talking to Andy on Instagram, learned a lot of things. So I think, you know, anybody you can talk to, like Andy's saying, um, you know, I, I totally agree, you know, go above your weight class. Les Brown's a motivational speaker that I love. And he always says, you know, you only have so much energy to get you so far. You got to find other people that can help you and they will literally take you to the next level. And I think that's perfect advice right. there, Andy, just saying like, hit with people above your weight class and like you know you and mj are saying i've never once had anybody you know i've had people like say oh i, I can't right now but mm-hmm. go and talk to this person that was yeah. all the time i've been lucky i have like 200 people that want to be interviewed over the next like two years so i'm like that's awesome but sometimes yeah. they're like hey go to my group and post in there we got all sorts of booktubers youtubers podcasters yeah. somebody somewhere will you know be able to help you quicker than me I'll blog it though, you know, or put in my newsletter, but you know, just same thing you guys are saying, just paying it forward. So it's such a cool community. Yeah. And a really big thing, actually, Chuck Wendig told this to MJ and I don't treat. Okay. Obviously punch above your weight class, but do not treat the community and people within this community, like rungs on a ladder. Okay. Do not use yeah. them as a stepping stone for you to get somewhere oh, yeah. else. So it's yep. like, you can absorb all this information from them, but at the same time, it's like, you're likely going to develop a friendship with them. You're likely going to be able to help them out when they need it. And so it's all about that reciprocation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important. Don't just use someone so that you can climb up to the next point in your career, because that is the sort of attitude that will, um, it'll come back to bite you in the ass and it'll diminish your reputation within a community of people who are very forgiving and very open. It's just less, fun like god everyone's yeah, so yeah, yeah. nice like, yeah. why would you not want to like actually form relationships with the people here exactly like, oh. yeah. yeah i think i think they're like like for as an example uh someone is helping me shop around the dark blade series to get an audiobook deal right mm-hmm. and th- this person who's helping me is we're gonna say a rung above me right in terms of success in terms of reach in terms of you know clout we'll call it i don't know what i can do to to help them in return now if ever there was a question hey is there something immediately a yes but what i can do is i can say okay someone's helping me so why shouldn't i help someone like exactly it's all about that paying it forward paying it back and just basically being a genuinely decent human being and this is something where don't be a dick don't be a don't (laughs) be a dick and this is this is something that that it ties into the other half of your question about, you know, there's the networking side, but then there's also being part of a reader community. This mm-hmm. is something that I've, that I've been keenly aware of in, at the end of 2022, I broke my six or seven year book drought where I was reading, you know, 10 books a year, you know, a few audio books because as a writer, it's so hard to read. And then I found a series that just shattered something in my brain. And now I've read over a hundred books since then, which is mind-blowing for me so i'm like okay i am now fully a reader again and the more i've been i've been reading the more i've been understanding 
the reader side of things. The, the I'm no longer remembering, okay, I loved Sherlock Holmes when I was 10 years old. I loved Conan when I was 16. Like these are old memories. I am now messaging authors. I am sending Richard Swan DMs because mm -hmm. I'm loving Tyranny of Faith so much that I'm like, I am now a fan, right? Yeah. Uh, we'll see if he gets annoyed by it or not. So far, he hasn't blocked me. We'll call that a good day. <laughs> we'll see tonight when we're on his, you know, when we're on the same panel. Yeah, I was going to say, we're going to be chatting with him later. Rich, so. Richard's a sweetheart. It's all good. I read, I read, I read, I started reading it because of, because we were going to be on this panel. So I was like, I want to, you know, understand what he's talking about. And before, you know, 20 minutes into the book, I was like, I am now a fan. I am going to embarrass myself on this podcast with him. But this is, this is something that I've been, I've been noticing. I've been recording more video reviews to post to TikTok and Instagram because this is now the thing to be done. And it is my excitement for books that makes me actually enjoy recording these things and posting them, even though I am very much not the kind of person who likes being a, being on show you know like i'll do great in a podcast for an hour or so and then i will not talk the rest of the day kind of thing mm -hmm. you've drained but, your social battery exactly yeah. but then but <laughs> you get me talking about the books that i love and i will go all day long and this is where as a reader this is i think what authors need to, to remember is that you are an author this is a massive part of your identity, but you became an author because you fell in love with a story. You fell in mm -hmm. love with one story, 10 stories, 100 stories. Something made you say, I need to do this too. I need to bring my own flavor of this art into the world. So you are a reader. Engage with the reader community on the level of a reader. Look at, like, read books. It's it's an impossible ask given how busy you are as a writer. It's an impossible ask given your editor brain is firing 99% of the day long, but do it. Push past it. Read the books that are there. Find the love of reading and then dissect it. Turn that writer brain back on and say, what did mm -hmm. they do here that I loved so much that I am now willing to embarrass myself in public on a panel with an author that you've never met before. This is the <laughs> kind of thing. If you can tap into this fandom that you are a part of as, as a reader, as, and then bring that into your writing as an author or, or find a way to merge those two into the same thing. That is what will make you succeed on the reader's level because you are not some author talking to them through your book and just sprinkling mm. pearls of wisdom. Just pissing excellence. Exactly. <laughs> we, let's, let's be honest. My fantasy books are not changing the world and I'm fully okay with that. What I can remember is at the end of the day, I am telling my story. At, it really is. I'm telling some aspect of my story or some human story to someone else and they're connecting with me through this experience. Remembering that it's all just a bunch of people doing people things. Mm. Let's be people together. Let's rave about someone else's book that's not our own that we loved. Let's talk about something that inspired us. Let's let's be readers together. And then sure, you can be an author too. I I, I have noticed I've been on I've been watching a lot of authors on TikTok again, being part of it and then dissecting it to see how I can do it. A lot of authors talk first and foremost about their books, which is fine. I don't want to be that guy. I want to talk about other books that I've loved. And then every once in a while, I'll throw a little bit about my book because I, I, I just don't like people who talk endlessly about their books. So we're going to spend the rest of this podcast talking about someone else entirely. Please. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like we are, Andy we're, at, we're at the hour mark, so Andy's starting to drain. Oh shit! I had coffee, so I'm good. <laughs> Zach does an amazing job with that because I would say I saw three TikToks from him yesterday, and not once did he mention his own book. I mean, yeah. I think there was a fourth one came out earlier this morning, whatever on my you know timeline, and so that was four uh, to maybe one. And sometimes, usually, I'll see him do like a six to one ratio. So he he rarely uses his channel even to yeah. to talk about his books and one thing cool that he does that i want people to check out is zs diamante um him and i were talking um like i think it was about two months ago and our episode just came out but like it was so cool because and i saw this firsthand was he was like oh i'm gonna do like i'm gonna send out copies sign copies of my book when people buy them and he maps them out and i've only seen him and like two other authors do it but it's such a cool idea and i've seen him do like 50 but I still, every time, like to see the the map yeah. added. I'm a map nerd, but it's so cool. So I agree with you, Andy. He, you know, he just does that kind of thing, and I don't know. It's so cool to hear him talk. And I, him and I have very similar um, reading tastes. So him and I will share books back and forth, um, you know, on social media or Facebook Messenger or whatever or TikTok, and it's just so cool. You know, there's some stuff that I've read, you know, that I'll share with him or vice versa. I've gotten a mm -hmm. lot of great book, rec you know, recommendations from him. And it's actually, I would say, has definitely improved me, um, not only as a reader, but as a writer. So I totally agree. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and you get to connect with people. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You connect with bookstagrammers or Instagrammers or fellow authors or people on Twitter or on Facebook. You connect with them on a very real level, which is we both love this. There is there is actually a couple of people on Instagram that I won't even bother reading the like blurbs or or anything else about the book. I will just yeah, go to them and that. say, yeah. did you like this? <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Esme. Um, Hi, just popped on. Legitimately, <laughs> I will just message Esme. Hey, did you like this book? And because our tastes are so similar, I know what I'm. I know what I'm in for because she's read it, or she'll she'll ask me, "Did you like this book?" Mm -hmm. And so, being able to do this is such a lovely part about the community. It becomes a community, and it stops being a marketing tool. And then, yes, <laughs> we, may, we we may have a little height disparity, but twinsies and <laughs> it's all good. It's in all here, good. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's what it that's what it's all about is is understanding the community itself mm -hmm. being a part of the community and then finding ways to use that community to 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 work for you as an author this is something also that in the I run the indie or I am one of the admins of the indie fantasy addict group on Facebook and this group is about 8 or 9000 members strong and we have worked our asses off to keep it as free of marketing as possible because mm -hmm. any group that starts off and just ascends into marketing, people are just, they just leave. And I have left hundreds of groups because of that. So I'm like, no, I'm a reader. This is the group where I am reading indie fantasy books and raving about them. Yeah. So I will only ever post reviews and then ever, you know, whatever sort of stuff I have to post as an admin. I'm never going to promote my books there. There will be plenty of opportunities where every Friday we do a self-promo post. People can do that. I don't do it anymore because I want people to, to connect with me as a reader. Once they understand my taste as a reader and I say, guys, this book I love, this book I love, this book I yeah. love. I love all those books too. And then they hear somewhere else entirely, by the way, these three books also inspired my story. They're like, wait a minute, tell me more. And then yeah. it becomes, it becomes organic connection or organic engagement through legitimate emotional connection. Yeah. Cause it's like MJ, she does really well in terms of how she, um, 
promotes other people's work in the sense of like, do you like this book? Well, here's like, boom, 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 like five yeah. recommendations. Do you like this video game? Here are some books that are similar to that video game, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's a really good way to kind of encapsulate what people may love about a particular uh, book or a particular series, property, what have you, and then be able to immediately see like, oh shit, there's more out there like this. And that may yeah. very well tickle their fancy once they say like, I'm going to buy this book or I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to get this thing or I'm going to support this author or whatever. Um, yeah. hundred percent. Uh, David Perfect. Mitchell, um, he's one of our patrons on Patreon. So thank you. Can Adrian please mess up his hair or something? I will yeah, live on air. Just like, Come on, fucking man. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> he can, he can not be always well put together. He is yeah. capable there you of go. Christian. Well put, say, well put together on camera, a fucking mess in real life. No, I'm just <laughs> I know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but Andy, I totally agree with you. It's like there, are, there are certain um, sort of avenues to express certain things about the about this community, where it's like readers wanting to talk about the books and not really wanting to have the imposition of marketing and what have you. But on the other hand, it's like obviously you've mentioned advertising a few times marketing is also important when it comes to the individual author trying to push their work out there. So I wanted to get your take on sort of how an author might approach um, book launch and post-launch, um, even like pre-launch, pre, pre book launch and post-launch from the perspective of like, how am I going to get my book out there? Um, which sort of like platform should I release on? What sort of format should I make it available in and all that kind of stuff? And if ads are even worth it um, and how you bring in something like discounts or giveaways or all that kind Ooh. of stuff. So basically everything. Everything. <laughs> I'll I'll, I will like definitely, I will <laughs> yeah, exactly. So here is, here is book launch success in 60 seconds or less. No. Um, okay. So the one thing, the one thing that I will always, always champion is the, the four elements of a successful book package, right? The book itself, the story itself is written. Congratulations. You have a finished manuscript. Now comes the work part, right? In the sense of you have to figure out what to do. So your package comes down to four elements, your cover, your title, your blurb, and your opening scene. These are the four elements that you have to nail to get the success. And now we can talk a little bit more about them. I just gave you the, the money shot there that you can trim mm -hmm. into a, a 10 second clip. Into so, a little clip. Exactly. <laughs> um, so um, I will say that your book cover is 75% of your success. Packaging wise, I will say everybody looks at Adrian's cover, the mushroom blues. Honestly, who gives a shit about what the blurb says? You see that cover, you yep. see, and you're like, okay, I'm in, right? I, I have stopped reading blurbs entirely because I don't care about blurbs. They're important, but I don't care anymore because I see a cover and this cover tells me so much of what I want to know. So I talked about, the, I am the king of, you know, second chances, right? When I first launched the last Bucellari series was the original title in uh, 2015. That was my first, my first book launch through a, a publisher. My sister did an amazing art, uh, a cover that looked like a heavy metal cover. I was in love with this thing. It's mm. black background with white and red and this silhouette of an assassin. So cool. So didn't connect with the audience. Didn't really sell. I got the rights back 
And I was like, okay, now we're going to go deep into doing this. We're going to study book covers. We're going to look at what is done and see how to do it. So at the time, this was 2017 when I was doing the research, photo manipulation covers. Let me see. There we go. This was pretty classic, right? This was done. Mm -hmm. A lot of the big books were fairly, were fairly commonly using photo manipulation covers. That's the, we're, we're going to get to the new cover after. <laughs> I just had to this, show it off. It's too good. This is the old version. <laughs> some, some things, some details that went into it. The bright here, this shows the more epic, little heroic flavor, but then you've got a dark haired character, which in cover art means there's a little bit darker, a little more anti-heroic than your Adrian looking, um, you know, hero. <laughs> sorry, sorry to call Adrian, you out. The, the Adrian M. Gibson, Zach Argyle category. The, exactly. The classic Aragon, you know, the, the handsome blonde. The dude. fucking farm boy. Right, exactly. So this cover... This cover, when I released it in 2018, was done, right? This was the, this was what everybody did. And the book took off. Um, between the seven books that I published and then the box set, I sold something like 80,000 books over the course of, of that, that time frame, which is super good. And then sales inevitably dipped. And to where I was working on other projects, I think after I launched Dark Blade 7, I put out, oh, I don't know, 20 some other books. And at, at after a certain point, the book, the, 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 the book, the series wasn't really selling much. So I was like, okay, now I'm going to write more. I always knew I wanted to write more in this, in the story to bring the character back and, you know, finish it. Um, but I'm like, I could launch a book eight into a series that's not selling, or I could figure out how to make this a brand new product that's still exactly what people know and love and want but then also something that feels fresh and new so this is where i went into the whole rewriting process of of the series from hero hero of darkness to dark blade and this is what what i paid attention to where i was talking about your opening scene give readers an opening scene that gives them as much interesting action my, my when i say action my characters tend to be real bloody real violent so that's kind of the way i go but action that keeps their heart racing engaged adrenaline all of that gives a sense of the character in terms of what makes them badass and worth reading like i'm not a big fan of the you know farm boy on a farm introduction not my thing i'm going to set you immediately Shit's about to hit the fan or, you know, people are about to die, which is where I'll always start. But then also give them the human element at the first the first chapter of the new Darkblade is just hack and slash, which I love. Right. And then the second chapter is hack and slash. Oh, but he's a little bit human, too. There's stuff we can like about him. This was a very intentional opening scene that I know that within two chapters of the book, people will have a good understanding of what this character is all about. So I went mm -hmm. into the rewriting process with this very intentional thing in mind. When it came time to design the cover, Felix Ortiz was not available. So I was like, now I have to find someone new. So I, I, I had worked with another artist, Luciano Fletas, for my, uh, my sci-fi series that I did through Athon Books. And he nailed 13 covers in a row of this whole series. So I was like, okay, you got this. So what I did was I looked at all of the books that were the closest to mine. I knew from the beginning I loved Night Angel. Night Angel was a huge inspiration behind me. Mm -hmm. I knew that I loved right here, Night Angel. This is the mm -hmm. this is the book that made me say, I want to write. I got I ran out of Durzo Blint and I needed more, so I created my own. 
that's that is my writing journey to to varying degrees. But so I was like, all right, I'm gonna find every single assassin looking book and look at their covers and see what I love. So Kel Cade, uh, The King's Dark Tiding is a very it's a Chris McGrath art. It's very beautiful, very eye catching, very striking. Um, Night Angel, right? You've got this. It's you're you immediately understand what you're getting from this cover. Some someone's in a hood. He's got knives. He's probably an assassin. Mm -hmm. um, Michael J. Sullivan's Raira, right? Royce Hay Royce Blackwater is one of the best loved assassins in the world, right? This is another one. David Dalglish's uh, Shadow Dance series. Six yeah. gorgeous covers with all with the same. I mean, instantly visible what you're getting, right? So this is what I wanted. I told my cover artist, give me exactly what I want. Like, tell, tell, show me what I'm getting from this book through the art. I basically said, mm -hmm. do this but better with all of these covers. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I keep doing this to this day. And so then you get this thing. So you've still got kind of the cover color scheme of the original. But then you look at him, you're like, this dude is not a happy, nice dude. He's got this jagged looking sword. Oh, there's some magic in a glowing dagger. What's going on? Right. So immediately your 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 interest is arrested. And then typography is a huge element. Mm -hmm. I will not even begin to, to, to dive into typography because as much as I have learned about kind of, you know, helping artists come up with good art, I cannot tell you anything about typography other than. I don't know. It doesn't quite look right. That's, that is my expertise. <laughs> yeah. But, it's like, I've done, like I've done graphic design too. And like, it's just like with mushroom blues, that was just an ex instinctive thing where I'm like, this yeah. looks dope. But a yeah, lot of the time exactly. I'm like, I have no idea. Like, yeah. So <laughs> much, so much of the, the typography and that element of design comes down to maybe, and then, and then something happens and it just clicks. And that mm -hmm. is what, it's, it's beautiful. And so uh, mad props to Jamie Castle. He did the typography on Darklade. You can see just like the detail that went into it. The the A's, there's oh, the yeah. blood, like the daggers, mm -hmm. like everything awesome. just, just pops. And and I, I saw this and I was like, this is it. And this is the cover that I will forever be able to say, this is this is my flagship series. Because mm -hmm. this is something that like, like with the photo manipulation cover, it went out of style. I saw a lot of people doing the the Daz, the 3D covers. I still see them, you know, but but the characters look stiff and lifeless and they don't yeah. really work. That is phasing out. I see people bringing in AI covers right now. That's, you know, that's got its home ball of wax. But one thing that I do notice is that, you know, the illustration on the cover of the Fionnivar Tapestry or Tagana or the sword, you know, these, these these books that have been around forever, you still look at them and you think this is a masterpiece. Look at mm -hmm. Frank Frazetta's Conan. No one will ever be able to look at a Frank Frazetta Conan art and say, eh, it's it, you know, it's out of date. This thing, <laughs> this thing is going Timeless. to outlast society, right? So this is what I want for, for and this is what I recommend for art work. Find art that is not necessarily trendy or you know, like the 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 style of the thing, but that will be evergreen. Mm -hmm. and, and so then you get that. So you've got your opening scene, write an opening scene that immediately hooks people, get that cover locked down as close as possible to the books that are as close as yours. So this is something that that's very important. Readers, when they look at the cover of say Night Angel, right? Everybody who's read Night Angel immediately thinks, ooh, Durzo Glint, right? Easy connection there. Anybody who looks at the cover of Way of Kings is going to be, ooh, Shardblades and Kaladin. Mm -hmm. 
want, you have a character and this is where it kind of comes back to indie filling in the gaps in the, I loved this character and there's no more. I love Durzo Blit, there's no more. Well, I'm going to create my own. I love Drit Zordon and there's, there's not enough books of him. I'm going to create something based on that. And so this is lean into that, lean into that, that gap that you're filling, create a cover that evokes the books that inspired this story or that are most similar to this story, but is unique. It sets you apart and stands mm -hmm. and beautiful in paperback and on Amazon's real small thumbprints, uh, thumbnail size. And between those two things, you're basically 95% done. The title is super important in that. What are you, what are you giving people? I mean, uh, MJ among thieves, boom, thief novel, easy, yeah. right? Dark blade <laughs> assassin. Yeah. I know exactly what I'm getting here. Um, uh, mushroom blues. It, there's mushroom. And if there's not blues, Adrian, we're going to have a conversation. <laughs> there, there are some definitely, there are some definite blues in there, man. Good. Some, people getting, <laughs> some people getting moody, some people getting Good. beat up. Yeah. And like, it, like I need, I need some smooth blues playing in the background at some point in the book yeah. or else. They're actually, so actually, playlist. yeah, I actually have like the two friends from Sweden. They, they finished an eight track album that'll accompany the book. So we got that. Perfect. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it's not blues, but. It's fine. <laughs> just throw, just throw like a, like an eight bar of blues somewhere in there and then you're good. <laughs> but my point is that you have, yeah. you have chosen a title that immediately conveys something critical about your world. Same as, same as you, MJ, among thieves, thieves. Easy sell. I will read any book that says thief. Uh, Bethany yep. uh, B.S. Garcia of, the, of, of Shadows and Thieves. And I'm like, how much thieving is there in this? I don't care about anything else. This is what I want <laughs> because I love thieves, right? So my Queen of Thieves series, easy title because, okay, she's a child in the first one, but Queen, what's going on? It, mm -hmm. it, it, it engages interest. So the title is the last, I'm going to say, okay, fine. We'll say cover and opening scene are 90%. Then you have another 7.5 which are which is the title and then the last 2 2.5% is the blurb. Blurb is important to a lot of people. A lot of people will read a blurb and they'll be like, "Eh, maybe not." But I will say that more and more people are just getting used to clicking on that look inside button and reading mm -hmm. the opening scene or yep. when I am at a convention, I won't even tell people about the book. I'll be like, "Listen, take this, read the opening scene." They'll stand there reading. It is it is my most effective sales tactic in person sales is you mm -hmm. just hand them the book and tell them to read the opening scene. And I've written an opening scene that people want to stop and read. And then afterward, they're like, okay, now let's see what's going on. And so then you tell them afterward. But really the blurb is, is, is very small in importance compared to everything else. So if you can get these four elements on lock, you have a gorgeous cover a great title, an opening scene that slaps, that gives both badass mm -hmm. action and amazing sort of a glimpse of humanity there. And then a blurb, you've got probably the greatest chance of success that you will ever have because that great packaging can sell a mediocre book as we have seen time and time again by books that indie, I mean, sorry. That, well, there've been some indie books that have sold. And Trad. And yeah. Trad, yeah. Trad especially really rocks those covers and then the book itself is like eh but that's that's what it comes down to so you've got all of this stuff this has to be done before you even think about launching the book 
Then you spend time launching the book. And this is where, this is where playing the long game is super important. If you can give mm -hmm. yourself six months from the time you have a finished product, you have a package, you have a cover, you have, a, you have all this stuff. You give yourself six months to start obviously more, but six months minimum, start building a newsletter list, start building a, you know, social media presence on Facebook and TikTok and Instagram and, and Twitter and all these other places, like wherever you're most comfortable. If you start reaching out to people, to, to reviewers, to read advanced copies, you start, you just start putting in the work of, of preparing to spread the word come launch day. You spend that six months ahead of time. I know it's a huge ask, it's your first book or your second book and you just want to get that out there and start building it. Trust me. I made that, I made that mistake. And I was able, because I'm indie, I was able to unpublish that book. And so no, now, now no one knows it exists and no one can ever accuse me of having written a shitty first book. <laughs> but, but like looking back, if I had taken six months to do that, it would have changed the trajectory. And this is something that Adrian, mm -hmm. you're definitely doing well. I know a lot of other authors um, that are coming onto the scene. Caden Love just did it with his Elegy of a Fragmented Vineyard. Book. Yeah. He he set all of this up and he's got himself in this position to succeed based on the merits of his story. So he's gotten his packaging in the right hands to make it visible. And now the hard part, obviously the story has to succeed or fail, which mm -hmm. having read it, I'm I'm optimistic. But you've got all of this. So you've got the six-month window to do as much as you can. You start giving away. You know, you can do a freebie. You can do sample chapters. You can enter giveaways. You can do, you know, newsletter builders. You can do whatever helps you to start getting people to take note of your name as an author. And then comes launch day. And all, you know, with, with the right preparation, connecting with other authors and being like, listen, I'm totally new, but you know, this is where it comes into being a reader. If someone re messaged me and said, listen, I love Darkblade. The Hunter was this, this, this. It inspired this element of my story. Would you be interested in reading an advanced copy or you know, sharing it to your newsletter? If someone had actually read Darkblade and loved it and been inspired by me the same way that I was inspired by Brent Weeks, I'd be like, okay, let's give it a try. <laughs> It, it is it is the nature of humanity to find mm -hmm. you know to to find other people who find you attractive attractive. This is this is dating and romance and marriage at its core, <laughs> and it turns out you know networking as self pub yeah exactly. So it's like edit a, the title of the masterclass now. So. Yeah. Exactly. yeah right. Dating Getting advice started. from Andrew Pelliquin and yeah. some publishing. That's some publishing. <laughs> but this is and this is where we're being a diehard reader first, or having a reader's mentality first. If you find authors whose books inspired you or whose books are similar to you, you can message them. If I was launching Tile of the Night Guild today, MJ, you would be getting an email from me in about three weeks after I finish your thief books, because I'm like, I need to find people who, who know something about launching a thief book or who other people have loved their thief books, things like this. So this is where having that six month, if you can do a year, amazing, but at least a six month window, you can, you can be intentional with your reading. You can actually look mm -hmm. for every single book that is close to your book, read it, and then message the author and say, listen, I loved your book. And it's genuine because you genuinely did love their book or something about it enough to say, can we connect over this? Yeah. Would you be willing to help me? And especially when it comes to fellow indie authors, this we were talking earlier about punching above your weight class or a rung above you. There are only rungs above you. Like 
you as an indie author you will never be like oh so and so is a rung below me no that is not no. that is never going to happen you are always on the bottom rung in your own mind so there's always going to be someone higher but you'll never think oh this is a new author this is someone they're on a they're they're beneath me does that does not or in my experience the people that i've connected with mm-hmm. doesn't happen so this is where having these connections comes into play. And so this six mm-hmm. months where you've got your book finished, you've got your book packaged and ready to go and you're sitting on it. This is where it's crucial because you start interacting with the reader community as a reader. And this is where Zach ZS Diamante nailed it. He yep. spent so much time building his audience on TikTok without ever talking about being an author. He was talking entirely about being a book lover, which is what we're all here for anyways and then people started learning hey i like this guy's taste in books and then he says wait a minute he also wrote a book that we love it's similar to this other book we love okay and this is where this 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 cushion of time gives Mm -hmm. you that huge advantage to engage with your community as a reader first and then engage as an author afterward and this is where i see a lot of people like adrian people who engage first with they've got their podcast, they've got their review channel, they've got their, you know, their book blog, or they do their bookstagram or whatever it is. And then they launch a book because eventually you spend enough time around authors. We kind of ruin you and make you and convince you that you want to, <laughs> that you want to do this. Exactly. You want to be cool. You want to go through the, you catch the, the bug. Yeah. Oh, you were, were just a podcaster, basis. you little peon. Come join us. Exactly. <laughs> we convince you to be like us. And then you start writing your book and because you've engaged with the reader community as a reader first, and it's authentic, authentic, genuine connection is what breeds success. And this is where mm-hmm. and that six month window is absolutely game changing. And then after that, it's like, obviously you have all that momentum that's building up towards launch and then you have the launch itself. And then you have post launch, which is kind of like from all the authors I've talked to post launch is kind of one of the weirdest periods oh. of time where it's like, you're waiting for all this shit to happen, but but the one thing in your mind is like, how do I keep up the momentum in terms of, how do I keep up the momentum of interest in my book? How do I keep up the momentum in terms of uh, eyes on, on on the book and reviews and all that different kind of stuff? Um, and then at the same time, you're thinking like, what's the next book gonna be? Um, how do I potentially advertise this book that I just released versus yeah. Uh, split my brain and, and put it into writing the next one in a series or the next one in a, in a different series or what have you. Yeah. So, so this is where, this is where I went. I think I set myself up for success. We'll say unintentionally, I would like to, you know, take, take some kind of credit, but we'll call it unintentionally. Um, I, I typically write a full series before I release a single book, which is a huge gamble. But when it comes to like, if I can write a hundred thousand word book in a month, it's not as much as a gam of a gamble as someone who takes, you know, six months to a year to write that. So it's still a gamble, but if I can spend six months to eight months writing a full series, I can launch that series. Or even if I've only got say like with my silent champions, military series, I wrote the first three books before I ever considered launching it. And book four was almost done book five. I had written as, um, uh, for part of an anthology and then I just had to write book six. So the series itself was pretty much done before I even started thinking about releasing book one. If you're writing a trilogy, it's a really good option to go with because what happens is you can do the rapid release thing. Um, Rapid release was very effective in 2017 to 2020. Around 2020, 2021, it stopped being as effective 
um, it can still work really, really well in your favor. And where it's very beneficial is that you're not just working with one book, which mm -hmm. is one product that you sell and then the, sell, the sale is over. You're working with three or six or however many. So maybe you can, you, you, you take a haircut, you lose out on the first book in the series. But then because you launch book two a month or two later, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I'm hoping 2024 will be like. I have a trilogy that I'm hoping I can knock out in six months, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, I can finish one words. book in three or in six months. <laughs> um, if you can, if you have these multiple products, you can release them, say two or three months apart, depending on the length. You get people to, hey, this book one's interesting, and hey, book two's up for pre-order. Take a chance. Most mm -hmm. people, and and especially people who are used to reading in Kindle Unlimited, they'll try a lot of new stuff. Um, and at the with, same time, it's like um, you can use uh, books down the line in a series to market the books at the beginning of a series. So it's like you can e use each consecutive release of a book to basically say like, hey, book six is out. Why don't you check out book one, which is 99 cents uh, on, on sale or yeah. book one, two and three, which are all on sale. Or you can kind of like manipulate the 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 sort of um, pricing and, 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 and sort of giveaway structure of that to use every single release to leverage the series as a whole by yeah. by marketing both the new release and the earlier books that came before it. And then so so like like if you're if you're talking about editing and cover costs that remains from book to book, but advertising costs if you're if you're ad, if you're releasing your books within a within a fairly decent window, like if you're releasing your books 2 to 3 months apart, you will have Amazon's algorithm shows your book a lot as a new release in the first 30 days it drops off a bit after 60 days it drops off more after 90 days it drops off to where the only thing that's keeping you afloat is advertising and marketing so there's no i'm going to call it organic from algorithm from Amazon's algorithms pushing you so if you time your releases within that window like let's say like the dark blade books are 200,000 words plus so if i release that every single month that's a lot of pressure on me but then it's also a lot of pressure on people who have way too mm -hmm. many books on their tbr to get to it so I went with three months apart for the first three books in the series. Sorry, the first four books in the series were all released throughout three months apart. And what that does is it says Amazon, you know, Amazon pushes it hard. And so do I during that initial post-launch period. And then it starts dropping off. But I'm not worried yet because I know something else is coming. And readers aren't worried yet because they know, listen, book one, I just finished it. I enjoyed it to varying degrees. But hey, book two's pre-order is already up, which means I mm -hmm. know that book two is coming and then by the time book two is about to get launched book three's pre-order is already up too with a placeholder cover if necessary like all right now if you go look at dark blade eight on amazon it's got a placeholder cover and mm -hmm. when i throw up dark blade nine it's going to have a placeholder cover in 10 and so on because i don't need to have the asset until very close to launch date but knowing, but telling people, listen, book eight is coming. So when you, your favorite character just looked like he died off now and you start <laughs> the next book and he actually did, well, there's more coming. But the whole point is that you give people this, this confidence that there's more coming. And so they're more likely to take a chance on a series when they know there's more product. And as, as someone who's investing in it, you know, okay, I may not break even on book one. 
and it may take me a few months into book two's release to break even, but by the time book three comes out, I'm in the black or I'm making mm -hmm. a profit. So again, it's all about that long game. You will always lose on book one. Prepare to lose money on book one. If you I'm, go, I'm prepared. Yeah. Yeah. If you go into <laughs> if you go into any series or any any launch, I'm gonna say series because I think in series. The idea of a standalone just doesn't enter in my brain. Go into, <laughs> go into every series expecting to lose money on book one, but write and market it, release it in a way that book two and three and however many more are released timely so that you can profit in the long term. Because long term, especially with series, is where you really make your money. Once people, mm -hmm. once people are through book two, they'll probably try book three unless you really pissed them off and did something wrong. <laughs> and then once they're through, once they're into book three, I mean, book four is just a given. And then once they're book four, well, I mean, I'm here this far, I might, and so on. Mm -hmm. So that's why, I mean, and I'm saying this as someone who has read 20, however many Dritz to Warden books and who's read 30, whatever Dragonlance books. And, you know, I will, I will binge an author's back catalog because I find their storytelling is so good or their characters are so interesting. Mm -hmm. And this is where you start you start making money as an author. Yeah, that is kind of that's kind of the the long term thing. And now, speaking about the post the the post launch, you can have the greatest launch in the world. You can have every book blogger and booktuber and book podcaster talking about your book, raving about your book, and then they're going to rave about someone else's. They're mm -hmm. going to start talking about someone else's and you will no longer be the hot thing of the day where you are going to have success is if you have set yourself up for it. So with another book in the series coming and you make sure you get those same people who loved it, a copy of that book. And this is, this is something that Ryan Cahill did incredibly smart. Yeah. He set himself up for amazing success and it's showed by the fact that his name is now as synonymous in indie fantasy as you know, Aragon is, or as um, you know, any uh, Pern is in Tradpub, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody, everybody on both sides of the the industry knows who Ryan Cahill is because he set himself up for success like this. So he did all this legwork of reaching out to people and and putting his book in the right hands, and then he made sure to do it again with book two. But for the rest of us mere mortals. <laughs> This is where, like, there are unicorns, and they, it is lovely to see these people succeed. And, and they're always so nice about it, too. Us in the workhorse community, like, I am, I will always be solid middle of the pack, and I will prepare for that for the rest of my life so that anything above it, hooray, I did really well. Anything below it, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm prepared. Yeah, yeah. I will never be able to succeed on word of mouth alone or on algorithmic love alone, or I will never prepare for that. I will always prepare to spend money on advertising. I will prepare to spend money on marketing, which means spending time, you know, making TikTok videos or Instagram videos or sending, you know, paying to send my books to reviewers or things like that. Paying for advertising, advertising between Amazon and Facebook, you have a lot of very good chances to succeed with a book. Again, it all comes back to your packaging. If your book is mm -hmm. packaged right, you will succeed. If your book is not packaged right, if your cover doesn't quite work, if your opening scene isn't quite as engaging, you're going to spend a ton of money sending people to the Amazon page and they're not going to convert. And I will say this as someone who has spent a ton of money sending people to an Amazon page where they just don't convert. Some of my series, they're kind of dead because I can try to spend money on them, but they just won't sell. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm going to put, I'm slapping new covers on them and then they'll start selling again. 
or I'm going to do, you know, something else. And this is where, as we were talking about, agility is our, our key to success. The fact that I'm in Kindle Unlimited, this is something that has worked for me. I don't necessarily say across the board, everybody should, but it has worked for me because all four of my fantasy series or four of my fantasy series are all set in the same world. So I just tell people, look, you're going to get to Darkblade 4, go read Queen of Thieves 1 through 4, and then come back and read Darkblade 5 before reading The Heirs of Destiny <laughs> 1 through 6. And then before you get from Darkblade 9 to 10, go read Silent Champions. This is all intentional. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to call it a gimmick because every single thing that I do, you know, in, in my approach to storytelling has to matter. But it's done in the, in the same sense that I loved Marvel Comics. I loved when Wolverine was off the Avengers or when mm -hmm. Deadpool and Spidey teamed up or when, you know, Doctor Strange and the Fantastic Four went off on some adventure. So I'm bringing that thing that made me a diehard Marvel fan. I'm bringing that into my world and mm -hmm. giving readers that same sense of, and this is where the reader first mentality comes into whatever success that we can find as, as specifically as indie authors. Cause if I was to do that as a traditionally published author, it would be a lot harder. Sebastian de Castell does that very, very well, but it's very small. You mm -hmm. see very few mentions of the great coats world in his spell slinger series. And then the spells the the way of the Argothi series has is set in the same world as spell slinger. And there's a few more little nods and then his future great coat series is. But traditional publishing doesn't necessarily allow that kind of. Exactly. Um, you have, it's very, it's very -contamination. rare. Yeah. It's very rare that you can do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book about mushrooms. That's, that's the exactly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> He's living his life. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm living my best mushroom right now. Yeah. So, so being an indie Great author, teacher. every every time I just I just discovered or not discovered I just read my first Philip C. Quantrell book mm -hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was like, I love this. So I messaged him, "What are the connections between this?" And he's like, "Well, there's this, there's this, there's this," and I'm like, "Well, now I have to go read everything." Yeah, he succeeded in doing exactly what he set out to do. He hooked me and then made me want to read more. And this is where John Wynn's series, you know, The Time of Dread succeeded. And then it's where, um, you know, Dragon Riders of Pern and Dragonlance and all these other people have succeeded because they basically said, you love this? Well, here's more. Slightly different, but more. And that's that's where I think as indie authors, we can get away with doing a lot of that. I have the, sh the, the shift in tone between all four of my fantasy series are pretty stark. Like you go mm -hmm. from very dark, epic fantasy to like grim dark in the night guild and then action adventure sort of young heroic fantasy with the heirs of destiny and then military you know real military stuff in silent champions but the consistent through line is that it's my voice as an author it's my characters it's my world it's all these things so people if, if like if I find a reader who's like, you know what, Grimdark is too dark for me. Well, I'm like, well, here's my action adventure series. Enjoy <laughs> some young people falling in love and saving the day. If they're like, look, I can't, I can't get behind young adult. Well, here, have some Grimdark, have some violent assassin. You know, like you can do all this kind of stuff. You can experiment and play around with it. And going into the writing with this intentionality, like that is, I think, the, my. We're going to boil this whole thing, this whole podcast down to Bring one it thing. Andy. Bring it in. Go, go into your writing career with an intentionality. Be intentional with your research, with your reading, with your learning. Learn as much as you can. Be intentional with the stories you're telling, the packaging you're doing, the people you're reaching out to, the people you're connecting with, and you've got the chance of success.
and there is no better note to end on than that, my friend. Money shot. Money shot. <laughs> there's, your, there's your 10 second TikTok clip. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, well, thank you so much. That's it for this live mini masterclass with Andy Peliquin and our crossover episode with the Fantasy and Sci Fi Fanatics podcast. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Daniel, for kicking off TBRCon with MJ and I. It means a lot. Um, yeah, we'll just go around and everyone can can promote their work, say where they can be found on social media and all that stuff. MJ, we'll go with you. Oh, I can just start. Um, you can find me across all social media at MJ Kuhn Books, all one word. You can find everything about me uh, just at MJKuhn.com. And also, yeah, check out my books, Among Thieves, Thickest uh, Thieves, this uh, fantasy heist duology, completed duology, so full ooh. series. That makes me very happy. Baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and go sign up for MJ's newsletter and get a free story. Yeah. And go sign, up for our, go sign up for our Patreon and you can hear me read it in a Scottish accent. So. In a Scottish accent. It's so <laughs> good. You better. So good. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Andy, what about you, bud? I mean, you can see my name. Oh, this is the screen. There you go. My name's a little hard to spell. It's French Canadian name. It's technically Andy Peloquin, but I don't want to sound like a douchebag. So Peloquin. Quebecois. Exactly. So just like my website's andypeliquin.com. I'm on social media as you can just Google Andy Peliquin author and you'll find all of my various social medias. Um, I'm, I'm focusing a lot more on Instagram and TikTok right now because it gives me a chance to just rave about books that I love reading. And as you can see by by my shelf. I'm very proud of my reading accomplishments for the last couple of years. So, And you do a lot of TikToks job. about being a writer too. And it makes me happy because I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling awesome. a little bummed out today. And Andy <laughs> just pops in with some motivation. That's, that's, that's I'm glad I'm glad the timing TikTok times the, the algorithms right for you. <laughs> it's creepy enough. It knows. <laughs> yeah, knows. Yeah. Go pick up Andy's books, man. They're fantastic. And he's a wonderful oh, human yeah. being. Yeah. And Daniel, what about you? Uh, I can be found everywhere with the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics podcast. Uh, I also can be found literally anywhere um, as author Daniel Kubal. I think Instagram, it's weird. I have like author underscore Daniel Kubal. Uh, but if you search my first and last name, then you'll be able to find me. Um, and then Adrian, actually, you and I will be on my podcast um, really yeah, soon, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is really exciting. And hoping to get these other two. Or sorry, guys, go the other way. Uh, Andy and MJ. <laughs> These I other fuckers waiting. Outside, I don't know who. <laughs> I've been waiting on a couple. I've been a couple people get back to me, so I haven't been able to send you guys invites yet. I want to get like actual dates for you guys. Uh, but I'm like three people away, and then I'll be sending them out to you guys. So I'm like really super excited to have all yeah. three of you guys on really soon. And MJ uh, obviously is a returner alumni, which is awesome. So nice man all right and yeah and, and your your novella the hunted later this year people can look forward to that yeah i'm Ooh. really really excited about that and talking like with you know in terms of what Andrew was talking about like i'm will have each of them within two months uh novella mm -hmm. two and three uh pretty close nice. to one another nice. so the pre-orders will be like really tight together uh, and that's also to see kind of test the waters in the novella realm but also you know to kind of see uh is it uh you know should i put out book one for that i have another i i do crossovers i love crossovers so you'll see some of my uh ogres and overlords series uh it's like all stop in the same world and then you'll see some of those guys will pop into nathaniel's uh books and then i got some other different classes of people as well um valkyrie things like that uh characters so it's kind of eventually be like a speaking of mcu like a avenger style thing which will eventually nice. lead to its nice. own series which is kind of cool so right on Thanks, David. Oh, You're also you. fucking wholesome. Ooh, you can put the, you can put the, only if MJ does it. 
Just me and Spatials. Uh, Parts, baby. Maybe too far away. <laughs> uh, you can also follow SFFatics on Instagram, Twitter, Threads, Blue Sky, all that stuff at SFFatics Pod. You can follow me at Adrian M. Gibson, where you can find out more about Mushroom Blues. Now, keep reading, keep imagining, and keep enjoying the rest of TBRCon 2024 week. Thank you all so much for watching and tuning in and asking us amazing questions and being so wholesome in the chat because y'all are fucking awesome. And thank you so much. Yeah, that's awesome. We will see you next time on SFF Addicts. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, <guys. laughs>